Welcome uh, to Asante Church. Uh, we are glad that you are here. Um, and we say, welcome to church. Uh, right? That phrase, uh, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, because uh, if you look at the original Greek word for church, it is ekklesia. And ekklesia is definitely not talking about just a place that we go. Right? Um, if you look up if you Google ecclesiology, which is the study of the ecclesia, the study of the church, what Google will tell you is that um, ecclesiology is the study of churches, specifically buildings and decorations. Whew, don't you love church? Isn't that the reason that you come into this place today? You just, this pipe and drape, it, it is... Honestly, it's beautiful. Um, no, that, we know that that is not what the church is. Right? The church is more than just the building. It's more than just the decorations. And the New Testament writers, when they use that word ecclesia, when they use the word church, what they actually meant was the gathering or the assembly of the called out ones. Right? It is those who are called out by God, who have a relationship with God, who are living their lives for God's will and purpose, and they are, it is the gathering of them. It is the assembly of those people, the collection of believers and followers in Jesus. But that definition over time, I believe, has changed, and church has become this place that we go to. Church has become, become somewhere that we spend an hour or so a week. Hopefully, you get encouraged by a message. Um, hopefully, you can worship. Hopefully, you can see some friends, and then you can go home and do your normal thing, right? You show up to church to be spoon-fed by some pastor, right? And I, I feel like church has become the place where spirituality and our walk with the Lord happens when that was never the intention. And so churches today can be different, not only aesthetically, not only with their decorations and building, but churches can be different in what they believe. They can be different in their values and in their purpose. And the New Testament writers, the early church, would laugh at that definition. The early church writers would laugh at the fact that there can be two different churches. That is impossible. There is one church. The one church is the collection of believers who have placed their faith and their trust and their lives in the hands of Jesus. That they have accepted that Jesus has saved them and they are now part of a universal church. There is one church. right? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to talk about that there is one universal church, and we're going to talk about that you have a role to play in it. Hint, your role is not to sit and to watch. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 uh, for the majority of our time today, uh, and we'll jump into a, an accompanying scripture in Ephesians. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, let's read this together. For just as the body is one, and he's many in members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. The church, again, it is the collection of believers. It is the collection of those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. And so this means that locally, nationally, globally, we all are part of one universal church. 
right? That, um, this is a beautiful picture of the church that um, transcends boundaries. It transcends race or language or economic class. It transcends any boundaries that this world can set up. But if you put your faith in Jesus, it transcends over all those things. You have a unifying um, truth within you, and that is that Christ has saved you, right? And we are invited into this church. And so if you've been on a mission trip somewhere abroad, you have experienced this. Right? You go to this uh, church service on the other side of the world. You don't know anybody. You don't know the language, but you are able to worship with a common grace and the common joys that God has given to his church. Right? You have a connection, a deep connection based on the fact that Jesus has saved you both. In Revelation 7, we have this picture of every tribe, every nation, and every tongue worshiping God the Father together in heaven. That is what we have to look forward to. Different colors, different languages, different ages, all worshiping the same God. That is the church. And so every believer is part of the global church. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you have a connection to somebody on the other side of the world that you may never meet in your life who has also put their faith in Jesus. You are part of a global church. However, we express that church in a local congregation, all right? So for us, if you're a believer, if you put your faith in Jesus, I see some, some young men in here who got baptized last week, and, uh, and they have put their faith in Jesus, right? They are part of this church. They are part of this global church. But since you're here, I would assume that Asante Church is the local church that you are a part of. We express this idea of the bigger body in this smaller part. We are not separate from the rest of the body, but we are this part of the body in this location that we um, are the church in this place. It is the local gathering of a much larger, larger body of believers. And so all believers are united in the church. That's our first point. I've said it a few times now. We're united in the church locally and globally that God has established his church. He has established his body to carry out his purpose. Right? We are adopted into this family of faith not to sit, not to just grow fat spiritually. We are adopted into this family of faith with a purpose that God has given each and every one of us. And so Ephesians chapter 4 verse 4 says that there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So we are united only because of what Jesus has done on the cross. That is the only thing that saves us. That's the only thing that we talked about that last week. We are only saved by the grace of Jesus on the cross, by his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his defeating of sin. Right? But we have a job, and that job is to proclaim the goodness of God to this world. Right, that the church is instituted to be the driving force behind proclaiming God's goodness. Right? And we come alongside the Spirit, and the Spirit is moving in the world. Right? God is at work in this world, and the church's job is to come alongside how God is moving, how God is working, and to accompany the Spirit to help out people. Right? So if the Spirit is moving, the Spirit's convicting somebody in their life. Right? They feel that God is calling them to do something with their life. They know that they need to change their ways, whatever it is. The church is the thing that comes alongside and says, hey, hey, let's live life together. Let us show you and encourage you in how to live life for God. 
Right? And in the same way that if you invite somebody to church, right, if you share Christ with somebody, the Spirit actually has to come in and change that person, right? That it takes both the Spirit of God moving and it takes the church to accompany the Spirit. That is our mission. That is our goal, to love and to serve and to care for people in this world. And so this purpose is the purpose of the church, but it's also the purpose of every individual within the church. Everyone. Ephesians chapter 4, skip down to verse 11. It says, He gave the apostles, this is Christ, Christ gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Right? God has established this structure. He has established this church. And he has done that to see his work accomplished. He has set up this hierarchy, this um, body, if you will, that there are different parts. And he has appointed the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, that these are particular parts of the body that were meant to lead. Right? So I want to go through these real quick. The apostles. The apostles are those who uh, start churches and mobilize Christians. Right? That's, they're like these spiritual entrepreneurs, church plants, if you want. Prophets, those who are gifted with insight from the Lord and the ability to communicate that to other people to encourage the church. And real quick, I want to just say, if the apostles no longer exist, the prophets no longer exist, but the gift of apostleship, the gift of prophecy still are given and granted to believers today. Right? The apostles were those men who saw Jesus face to face and Jesus said, hey, go take the gospel to the ends of the world, right? Face to face, those people, they're all dead now. Right? The prophets are those who had a message from God and had the authority to speak it over people, to speak it over nations and individuals. Right? And they were given that spirit, and it is different than the spirit we have, but there is still prophecy where people can have insight from the Lord. And if that aligns with the scripture, they are encouraged to share that with other believers. Right? The gift of prophecy, the gift of evangelism, but it's not the same as what we talk about in scripture. So then the evangelists, these are those who are able to proclaim the gospel clearly and compellingly to unbelievers. And then we have the shepherds or what we would call pastors. And those are the ones who are um, leading and caring for their flock, for the local congregation. And then we have the teachers and those are the ones who can clearly explain and apply the word of God to God's people, right? So this is the, the gifts that God has given to the leadership of his global church, Right? So how does the work of God happen? These leaders, they do all the work. No, no. These leaders, what do they do? They equip the saints, that's you, they equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. Church, you are the saints. You do the work of God. That God did not appoint me as one of your pastors, Alex as one of your pastors, to do all the work so that you could sit here and just listen to these uh, spiritual elite preachers who are so wise and handsome. Your words, not mine. <laughs> no. God has given us to equip you for the work of ministry that you have a part to play. That you're a participant. This is not a bus that Alex is driving and I'm just riding shotgun with the map trying to figure out where to go and you're just sitting in the back along for the ride. No, you have a part to play. Scripture makes it clear that our job is to equip you to go into your domains, to go into your world, right? Your family, your work, your neighbors, your friends. 
and to do the work of ministry, to care for people. And it is your job to build up the church. Right? Your responsibility is not to sit on the sideline. Your responsibility is not to uh, just check out and to consume and to receive without ever giving of yourself. This isn't fandom. This isn't something where you can show up and enjoy it and then leave without ever breaking a sweat. God has called you into this family because you have a purpose and a part to play in it. You are not saved to sit on the sideline, but you are a saint. And I know your wife has never called you a saint, but you are. You are a saint. You are a member of Christ's body, that you are important, that you are valuable, that you are needed, that you are necessary for the work of God in this church and in this community. And for us to truly be the church, it means that all of us have to realize that we are participants and we're not spectators. We can't expect others to do it, but you are a vital part of this church. And so as we jump back to 1 Corinthians, um, we're going to read a pretty big chunk of scripture here. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to be in verse 14, and we're going to read through verse 24. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Right, so we have this idea of the body of Christ, the church. There are many different members, every single one of us. You are a member of this body. You have a part to play. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. But if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, how, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, that I have no need of you. But on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Indispensable, but... And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. For the body of Christ to function effectively in how it is supposed to, we need every single part. That there are hands, that there are feet, that there are eyes, that there are ears. And every part is needed and necessary and indispensable. That every part of the body of Christ, every person in this room who is saved by Jesus' grace has a part to play. That it is important, that it is needed, that it is necessary for the body of Christ to function as it should. All believers are unique in design. That before you were born, God knit you together in your mother's womb. He made you specifically how you are, with a purpose and with a plan for your life. And that I don't have the same gifts that you have, and you don't have the same gifts that I have. And we should thank God for that. We should be grateful that we don't have the same gifts because we have different purposes. That if we were all the same, we could only accomplish one thing. But because we are all different, God can use us in a wide variety of places. What does a body mean? A body means that it is a collection of different pieces put together. If we were all an arm, we would just be an arm. We wouldn't be a body of an arm. We would just be an arm. 
But there are different members, different parts that make up the body and that you, you are designed in a way to where God made you specifically. He made you unique. Nobody else can fill, fill your role. You are needed. You are necessary for God's church. And when we look at this scripture, we see that Paul presents three things, three issues, three dangers within the church at Corinth. See, the church at Corinth had some issues when it comes to spiritual gifts. Right? They believed that some people had these spiritual gifts, and so they were special. And if you didn't have that spiritual gift, well, you weren't very necessary. And what, I'm gonna, what we're going to talk about, we're going to look at, is that Paul breaks that down. And he says that is untrue. And so our first issue, our first danger, is that because the foot isn't the hand, he removes himself from the body. Right? This is this idea that when we look at other people's gifts, we say, I can't do that, so I must not be able to be used at all. I have nothing to bring to the table because my gifts don't look like their gifts. That I can never stand up on a stage and talk about Jesus. That I can never go explain the gospel clearly to my neighbors and to my friends, so I'm just not going to do anything. And it is sad that that happens so often. But as we talked about earlier, we put ourselves on the sideline. We dismiss ourselves from the work of ministry because we don't look like another part. God has uniquely designed each one of us for the work of ministry. And so we can't let our insecurities and our giftings, because they are different than somebody else's, put us on the sideline. We don't get a pass. We can't just say, I don't bring anything to the table. I'm just a pinky toe. Nobody's going to notice me if I'm gone the body will surely miss you if you are gone. That's what makes it a body. You have a part to play. You are needed. I just want to say really quick, if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, right, what better place to find out than the body telling you? What better place to find out how God can use you? How are you designed for the work of ministry than for the other parts of the body to say, hey, here's what I noticed Here's how I noticed that God has gifted you, and I think this is something that God wants to use in your life for his kingdom. So if you don't know how you can be used, if you think you're insignificant, one, you're not, and two, don't step back, but lean in. Lean into the body, lean into the church. Our second danger is that the ear becomes or starts acting like an eye. What good is it if the entire body is an eye? Man, this... This analogy just in my head, I get this image of this ugly, nasty eye just rolling around, right? Like eyes are creepy looking, especially if they're not inside of a head. Um, but if we, uh, if we were just the same, we would have so many parts of our body that are missing. So many useful, beneficial parts of the body would not be used if we were all the same. So don't look at your part and say, I wish I was that part. And you don't remove yourself, but you try to be that part, right? What good is it if the ear becomes an eye? Well, then the body can't hear, right? We need to find satisfaction in who God designed us to be, not who God designed somebody else to be. God designed them to be that for a reason, for a purpose, but just as equally, he designed you for a purpose that is just as great, right? You are designed in a way that God uniquely knit you together and said, this is how I want to use this person. This
person is unique, this person is gifted in this way, that nobody else can take their role. And so who are we to say, God, I don't want to be that, I want to be this, right? But we have to find satisfaction and trust that God has designed. He said, God is the composer of the body. He he has composed and orchestrated the body together. Verse 18 says exactly this, that God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If you are an ear, it's because God wants you to be an ear. You are designed uniquely to serve the church in that way. So we need to trust God that he was right in making us and making others as they were supposed to be made. When I was in eighth grade, I played football. And I was not good at football. I played receiver on offense, and I played outside linebacker, Sam linebacker, on defense. And when I say played, what I actually mean is that's the group that I practiced with. Um, Because I never got on the field on game days. Um, And then one game day, uh, it was about an hour before the game, our punter got hurt. And our coaches found out that I played soccer. And so they're like, Jacob, do you want to punt? I was like, Yes. You mean I'm actually going to get on the field? You mean I'm actually going to have a part to play? Like, that is so much better than being third string outside linebacker, right? And so, and so I got really excited and before the game. I'm, like, practicing my punts, and they're going, like, 65, 85 yards, something like that. Um, and, uh, and, but, I, no, I, I actually, I was doing okay at punting, right? And I was really excited. I was like, Thank goodness. I'm tired of being at my other positions. I don't like those positions. There's only one punter. You're not a backup punter. So there's only one punter. I'm going to get on the field. I'm going to get to play. I'm going to get to actually do something. And I got really excited that I wasn't wasn't a linebacker anymore. I'm now the punter. In the first play, I'm jogging out there and my shoulder pads are popping up and down because I'm really small and they were really big. And, and I'm looking at the coach to figure out where do I need to line up because I don't, I don't know how to be a punter. And so I, I figure out where to go. They snap me the ball and I realize the guys on the other team want to tackle me. Um, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't think of it before. And, and so they're running at me and so I did what every um, great legendary punter does. Um, I close my eyes, I turn my head, I drop the ball and I swing my legs, right? Oh. And, and I, just, I just kicked like this, and I, the ball hit the outside of my foot, and it went out of bounds three yards behind the line of scrimmage, all right? Um, it was bad. I was bad. I didn't punt again. They went for it on fourth down, because even if they didn't get it, they still had better field position, right? That was not my role. I tried to be something that I was not. And for us, we have to realize that God has designed you for you. God has designed you for a purpose, and he wants to uniquely use you within the body, in your role, and in your position. When we try to be somebody else, one, it leaves a emptiness where you were supposed to be, and two, that we're not designed to do that. And so we can't try to be somebody else if the entire body or the entire body will suffer. And then the first point we made is that we can't disqualify ourselves because we want somebody else's gifts or we think we are insignificant. And then the third thing that we see, is, it's this pride that it was within the Corinthian church, right? That the parts of the body looked at the other parts of the body and said, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head said to the feet, I have no need of you. It's not the sense of pride that turns into insecurities, but it's the sense of pride that turns into arrogance. That we think we are special or different or better because we have certain gifts. 
but all parts of the body are indispensable. That every member of this church, every member of the global church is indispensable. They are interdependent upon one another. That the body does not get rid of a member. Uh, Menonias Agrippa, uh, this is a man who lived about 500 years before Jesus, he had this fable or this analogy um, and it goes like this, that there were members of a body, right? There were limbs, there were arms, uh, there were legs, and, and they, were, they were talking and they decided that, you know what, the stomach isn't really bringing much to the table. The stomach just kind of sits there. We do all the work to get the food. The mouth does all the work to chew the food and the stomach just receives and consumes. The stomach isn't doing anything. It's lazy. We're doing all the work and he just sits there. And so they got this really good idea that they were going to not give the food or not give the stomach any more food. They were going to teach him a lesson. Well, how did that work out for the rest of the body? The rest of the body suffers. Right? When one part of the body is not used, when we, we can't say and we can't look at something that's insignificant and decide that it's not needed. But each member is important. Each member has a part to play. And so what we realize, need to realize here is that um, there's going to be disagreements. There's going to be differences in opinions. There's going to be um, sometimes strife within the church. That we are unified in Christ, but that doesn't mean that we're always going to be on the same page. And that's okay. That diversity is good. That diversity of thoughts is good. Diversity of giftings is good. Diversity of personalities is a good thing. In Acts chapter 13, there's this uh, one verse, one verse that we'd look at. It says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. And look at this list of people. Barnabas, Simeon, who is called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. That might seem like a not very important verse. But when we look at those individual people, they are diverse and they are different. And they have stories that are offensive to the other people in this group. Right? So let's start with Saul. Saul was Paul, right? Paul is who's writing this uh, letter to the Corinthians that we're looking at. And Saul was Paul, but he had the name Saul whenever he was out there basically murdering, persecuting Christians. Right? So, so that's Saul's story. Saul is now Paul, and he's living for Christ. But before that, he was persecuting Christians. He was even overseeing their death and imprisonment. And then we have Barnabas, who is the son of encouragement. Right? He's just this really encouraging Christian guy. Like Everybody loves Barnabas. But then who do we have? We have Simeon, who was called Niger. Right? So obviously, Niger means black. This was a man who most people believe was African. Some people actually believe um, that this is the Simon who carried the cross of Jesus. Um, I don't know that you can't prove that. We don't know, but some people think that. Um, then there's Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is an island off of Africa. And then we have Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch is Herod Antipas, and Herod Antipas is the guy who beheaded John the Baptist. 
Herod the Tetrarch is the guy who, when Pontius Pilate had Jesus standing in front of him, Pontius said, I can't make the decision, so I'm going to send you to Herod the Tetrarch. And Herod the Tetrarch looked at Jesus and said, I'm not going to waste my time. Go back to Pilate. So he basically saw the crucifixion of Jesus and he was partially responsible for that. That is Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch's dad actually is the one who killed all the babies around the region where Jesus was born, right? This is not a cool family, right? And this guy, Manan, is lifelong friends with this guy, so I feel like these guys are all in a room together, right? And Barnabas is like, hey, you know, I know Paul. He's all right. He's, he's okay. But, you know, you were, you were killing my people not too long ago. And then you have these Africans who are in there and have a very different culture, but they have the same Jesus. And then you have Manan. And I feel like everybody's looking at Manan and being like, hey, bro, you're friends with this guy? Herod? But these people are together in the same place. They are worshiping Jesus together. They are fasting and praying together. And all of their differences, all their diversity did not matter because what unified them was Jesus. What unified them was the saving grace of Christ. And they had the same forgiveness that each and every one of them had. And they, so they showed that same forgiveness to each other. Right? Just because a part of the body is different, just because the part of the body you might have disagreements with does not make them any less a part of the body. Every part is needed. And this is the beauty of the church. This is the beauty of this church. Right? We have so many different denominational backgrounds. We have so many different uh, historical uh, stories and, and families that have different upbringings. Right? But we come together in Jesus. Right? That is the beauty of the church. And so, verse 25. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. The body of Christ should have no division. The body of Christ is unified, and as I said, this doesn't mean that we always agree. This doesn't mean that we're always on the same page. But what it means is that we are unified in our mission. That we are unified to proclaim God's glory to the world. That we are unified to see God's goodness in the world. We are unified in our love and in our care for one another. We're unified in the building up of the body. And this is the beauty of the church. That Christ has saved all of us. And we are invited to be part of this family that cares for one another. And if we aren't caring for one another... If we're sitting on the sidelines, then there's a part of the body that's missing. And if we are to proclaim the glory of God to this world, if we are going to win this community to Christ, we have to first love the body. We have to first love each other in this place, in this local body of the church. We've seen this over and over again in Asante Church. We have seen the body suffer together. That when 
part of the body is in pain, the entire body feels that pain. When part of the body is honored, we all rejoice together. I've seen that in you and in this church, and it is a beautiful, wonderful thing to see. But that's the picture of the church. It's not a building. It's certainly not aesthetics. But it is the church. It is a family that God has put together, that God has composed together in his body. And so, what is the church? It is unique individuals who are giving a purpose and a design, a role to play in the work of ministry. And those unique individuals are united together to proclaim the goodness of God and to build up the body. What I want you to hear today is that this is not an obligation. I don't want you to hear that this is what you're supposed to be doing. So if you're sitting on the sideline, you should feel bad about it and you should get in the game. That's not what I want. This is not an obligation that you just have to do, that God's going to be unhappy with you if you don't do this. That is not what this is. This is not an obligation. This is an invitation. This is an invitation to live as God would want you to live. This is an invitation to live a flourishing life as we were made to live. We're not made to live life alone. This is an invitation to have community to have love, to have purpose, to have care. This is an invitation not to just show up to church, but to truly participate in being the church. We say it every week. And the truth is that if you have not trusted Jesus, if you haven't put your faith in him, this isn't available to you. Right? Sounds harsh. If you haven't put your faith in Christ if you don't have a relationship first with Christ, who Scripture tells us is the head of the body, so if you're not connected to Christ, you can't be connected to the church. The church can love you. The church can care for you. The church can minister to you, but you don't yet have your part in the body. So I want us to pray. So let's bow our heads. If... Uh, if that's you, if you have not yet trusted in Christ, if you don't know how God wants to use you as his church, um, I invite you to start with your first step, and that's trust in Jesus. That is to put your faith in the God who sent his son to live a perfect life and die a death on your behalf, that he took on your sins and paid your penalty so that you could have life. Father, I pray for these people who are on the fence today. I pray that they would have the courage to trust you, step into a relationship with you, and they would um, be adopted into this family of faith. And Jesus, I do thank you for the, for the common grace of your church. I thank you, God, that you have called individuals, that you have designed them with a purpose. I thank you for those individuals who are bought in who are living out their gifts to serve and to love each other. And I thank you for the church. I thank you for the way that the church has loved me in my life, that the way that the church has been there and shown your goodness to me. I thank you for the way that this church shows its goodness and suffers together and the way that I've been able to see that through the members of this local body. Lord, I pray for anybody who is um, feeling insignificant. 
I pray that they would see how much you love them, not only that you save them, but that you have designed them with a purpose. You have given them a purpose in this body. You have given them a, a, they are a member. They are needed. They are vital. And I pray that we would not sit on the sidelines, that we would not just show up to a place every Sunday and consume, but we would live our lives as part of this body, serving and loving the church. We know this is good. We know this is what you want for us. I thank you, Jesus, that you are the head of the church, that you showed us how to be the church from the way that you served and you loved others. I pray that we could do the same through the power of your spirit. And in your name we pray these things. Amen.